Hey everyone, welcome to the Andrew Michael Matter podcast. I'm here with Carl Cadwell, and we're discussing the music industry today. Carl, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm a musician. I do production work both for artists and for commercials. Um, most of my money comes from the commercial side of things, but I love working with artists and uh, making great, weird pop music. Great. So first I want to talk about streaming. Uh, what a lot of people I feel like don't realize in the non-music sector side of things is that you have to listen to 30 seconds of a song to get paid for a stream. Should the music industry change so that there's an incentive for listeners that listen to longer than 30 seconds? For example, if you listen to the whole song, should that be added in to your streaming payment? So... Who would that be motivation for, I guess, is the question. Because listeners, I don't think, are motivated by that kind of stuff at all. True. Like, they don't care. They're getting, like, you know, I just don't think that they really care about how much artists are getting paid for things. Uh, some do, for sure. They're hardcore fans. Uh, but in the in the broader music, people who consume music, which is almost everybody, not everybody, but most people, um, I don't think they care, but I also think that if that was the case, that songs would definitely be motivated to get even shorter than they are now. And it mostly motivate artists to make even shorter songs so that people would get to the end of them faster, um, which we're already seeing happen by, you know, artists making albums that are like, you know, I don't know, like 60 tracks in like an hour, you know? And that's partly driven by the fact that you only need 30 seconds. Um, and as long as your song is 30 seconds long, then they can get to the next one. It also gooses your number when it comes to Billboard because it'll goose your number of streams. If someone's like, I was going to put this album on and your, so your album is only six songs, you're only going to get six streams. Mm -hmm. But if someone puts your album on and it's 20 songs, you get 20 streams. That's more money. And that's more towards your billboard numbers as well. So with, with songs like Old Town Road, mm -hmm. that was, they, I heard many pundits and talking heads saying that it was genius because it was so short of a song. Everything was hooky and catchy and there was no fat on it. So then you listen to it again and it's shorter. So you get more repetitions in a given day because of the length. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's how, you know, the people that uh, drive a song like Old Town Road, which are like, I don't know, like 13 to 18, maybe. I have no idea. Someone probably knows. I don't. But like kids, that's how they listen to music is they will literally like press play on YouTube. It ends like press play again like call their friend, like, let's play it at the same time. Press play again. Like that's when you're talking about streaming numbers, that's who's driving those sorts of numbers that old town road got. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so having a short song is, is definitely an advantage. Um, and it's great as a consumer to me, at least I, in my musical journey have, have uh, preferred shorter and shorter songs. So like my first album that kind of wore out was uh in a silent way and bitches brew which they 
both have like, I want to say 20 minute songs on them, mm. like a CD of like two songs. I love that. But now I'm, I'm in like, I've gotten like over the years to being like, yeah, you know what? Two and a half minutes. Like that's, that's about right. That's like, if you can say something good in two and a half minutes, like you're doing good. There are some two and a half minute songs that are too long. Yes, but that's probably a, a problem. Like those songs probably just don't need to exist. If, you, <laughs> if two and a half minutes is too long, like that's not even, that's not a song. That's an idea. That's a Ted talk. That's a Ted. That's like a tweet. That's cool. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a cool. It's a tweet song, but like, I don't want to stream that. Just put it on Twitter and I'll click on it one time and I'll be like, cool idea, bro. So has that, has the 30 seconds counting as a stream impinged upon your creativity as an artist when you're going to make music? That's got to be a consideration, right? Do you feel like that impacts your creative process? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, Getting to the hook faster, um, not having long intros. Um, But again, I guess it is hard for me to say, whether that is a streaming consideration because I really have been on a journey towards shorter songs. And, um, you know, I guess even my bands I've been in, I started out in like a, in like a fusion, you know, jazz fusion type band where we would play 15 minute songs. And, you know, then I slowly transitioned out of that into like a soul band and like soul songs were like four or five minutes. And then, you know, a pop band and then like you know it's just gone from like so it's 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 hard to say but I, I have definitely been into like trimming the fat and getting to the point faster and that is somewhat driven by by that streaming stat and I know for pop artists who are trying to just get streams and, and trying to make money that is definitely a hundred percent a consideration mm-hmm. Always. so why not just start with the hook make the hook 30 seconds long and then you can do whatever creative expression you want with the rest of the song. I mean, the song has to work as a song first. Like it does have to be a good song to be like <laughs> worth putting out, you know, and, but finding creative ways to do that is, is important. And I think that starting off with the hook, um, which um, I don't know if I've ever, ever let you heard Gator, but it's a song that um, Lil Rona kind of delayed the, uh, Putting I out love a- that song. I sing it all the time. It gets stuck <laughs> in my head. I saw her perform it at the signal and yeah. I made a cover of it on Instagram one day because mm-hmm. I love the hook so much. It's so good. And that song starts with the hook <laughs> and it works for the song and it allows the intro to be actually a little bit longer. So normally my intros are, are I try to keep them at about four bars, uh, but this allowed me to have an eight bar intro because there's the intro which is, I don't know, it's like five seconds. And then you're like right into the hook. Uh-huh. And um, it works for that song. It works for the story. It actually works better for the story to have the hook first in that one. Mm. Um, so, or you can do something like Sorry, which is one of my favorite songs, the Justin Bieber song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has Diplo and Skrillex. I think it has Diplo, it doesn't matter. But that song kind of has like, an echo of the hook at the very top of the song. Um, so you immediately get the the hook melody at the top 
and then you revisit it, it actually comes kicks full in after the first verse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that you're always kind of struggling with your medium. Um, and I'm very much one of those people that like the, the medium is part of the message. Right. And, and uh, streaming is like a, the medium that most people are, are consuming their music in. And that's, that's going to affect how you do it. Just like CDs, you know, I would never think about putting out a single as a band pre-streaming, like just the cost of printing CDs yeah. is like, cause that's how I made most, that's how we made most of our money as band, as a band was um, selling CDs at our shows. Like they would usually, we'd usually make more money selling CDs than we would on ticket prices, you know? Um, and so we would never just put out a song cause like who would pay you know, to make money on that, we'd have to sell them for like $8 a piece or something as an independent artist. And you're only getting one or two songs. Like nobody's going to do that. Uh-huh. You know, we had to have at least 40 something minutes of music, if not more to make it worth recording, you know? Um, but, you know, back in those days as well, we could actually make back all of our recording and printing costs in one show uh, in like a CD release show that was like really big, mm-hmm. you know, that's like impossible now. Like you can't even make money. You can't even make recording money back ever on streams. You know, it's, you're very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and I don't think of it that way when I put stuff out, I think of it as advertising for the things that do make me money. Yeah. So one, one thought that I have on that is I imagine a scenario with a carpenter. And so you're a carpenter and you're making tables and you've got this company that'll put your tables in people's homes, but you only get paid if someone leaves something on it for longer than 30 seconds. (laughs) So there's a situation where you put your drink down and then at 27 seconds, they pick it back up. And so you don't get paid for that use of your table, but then there are other people that leave a book on the table and you're just racking up those streams. And why it makes me think, why hasn't that model been distributed to other industries? It seems like it's really unique to music. Well, I think music is, it's just um, really easy to uh, copy it. You know, it's, it's hard with, with something that's hard to copy, you know, like it was like, even when you had to like burn a CD or make a tape, you still had to invest something in making that copy with music. You can copy it really fast for free. Mm. Yeah. And and I think that's, what's unique about music. And now that computers are where they're at um, movies. Cause you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember college days downloading a movie would be like all night. (laughs) Right. So it's like, so that wasn't a big problem then because it, it was just like, wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, with music, you can just like copy it with a click or well, with an alt click or whatever, control click, Apple click. I don't know. But like, I don't copy music, of course. <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's what makes it so um, different from other industries is, um, is that, um, you know, with, it's just easy to copy. That's just the bottom line. 
Yeah, I see, I hear that. So, so then with that, do you think that there's some other pendulum swing between physical sales and digital sales with streaming? Is there some different new thing that's going to hit a new wave that's going to sweep the music industry? So we stop fluctuating between these two. I, I think it's hard to say because I don't think anybody really saw streaming coming. Mm-hmm. I think that people saw iTunes coming, like downloading digital music. Um, but I think that streaming, um, and especially the way that it got set up, you know, with um, Spotify paying big money to labels that artists don't ever see, you know, that's the big problem. Like you got to make, if you want to pay artists, you got to make it in a way that people are going to like, it's not so expensive that people bypass it, which is what happened when the music industry got really greedy in the nineties. And as CDs were like $15, you know, they were making so much money. Cause like, that's like stupid for how much it costs to make a CD. Yeah. Uh, but then like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess like I can't, I don't, I don't see I personally don't see anything on the horizon. Um, I just feel like it's going to get more and more um, disparate as to where people get their music. Um, you know, right now Spotify is the biggest, but I could see like TikTok, YouTube, uh, especially places like that getting bigger and, and, and bigger and kind of taking more and more of the market share. Um, but beyond that, I, it's really hard for me to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how people are consuming music. At some point, like we, it boils down to the physical realities of our universe and music has to be stored somewhere, right? If you're not physically playing the instrument and the music is hitting your ears live, then there's some interface, there's some format that it has to be stored in for you to access. So I, I really try and rack my brain to think about what is going to be next. Like what's the future going to be? And I get so frustrated because I just fall short and I feel like I have no imagination when it comes <laughs> to predicting those things. Well, I mean, if you could, then like, you know, the, uh, in 20 years, you'd, you'd be a millionaire, right? Right. Uh, yeah, that, that stuff is hard. And I, and I think that, you know, because at least right now, that music is so driven by the, um, by like younger teenagers. Um, and like, I mean, you know, you're there. I'm not, I'm not ever around teenagers really. Um, I am around like post-college is probably the youngest people I'm around, but like, I feel like it's going to be them that determine that since they are right now, they really determine what is the most popular and the most big. Um, Because that's, that's, those are the people that are generating for the music industry. Like I would say 90% of the money that that's like being thrown around, like, you know, it's just like that stat where it's like, it's like the top 20 singles on iTunes, which make like 90 something percent of their downloads, mm. you know, where it's, it's just like a very small subset of artists are making a 
like buttload of money, mm-hmm. you know, and um, th- that that's like a little bit how it's always been. And like, that's nothing to be bitter about, but I think that's, you also have to realize that the people that are driving those sorts of sales, the, like the kids, the teenagers are the people who are going to determine where the music industry shifts to looking for income streams. So are you aiming at that demographic with your music? No, no, I'm not. I mean, like I said, with, with, um, I view it more as a advertising for what I do as a producer, as what I can do as a producer. Um, and even as my commercial work, and I was just talking to a director today who directs commercials. Um, and he was like, you know, he showed some people who, who he wanted to work with um, his demo reel of commercials. And they're like, yeah, 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 that's cool. Those are all great, but we really like your super weird ass. It was this thing that I worked on, but it was like your super weird ass short film. That's what made us want to work with you. But that's so often the case. That's how I got my first commercial gigs is somebody was a fan of my weird ass fusion band and started using my music in their commercials. And then I suggested to them I could make music for them. Mm. And that's how that's, that's how that relationship started. So it's, it's a business decision to keep making weird music. Um, not because I'm making money at it, but because it is, it is feeding what is making money for me. And I think that's how it is even for artists. Um, you know, if your shows are making money, you've got to keep the content coming. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and that that's just part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not, if I'm working with somebody that wants to aim for that demographic, then like I will do what they want, but like, I'm going to make music that I like. And if it overlaps, which I'll say it definitely overlaps. Like, um, I don't feel like a lot of, you know, for instance, Billie Eilish, like, I don't feel like a lot of her music like speaks to me on like a very deep heart level, but I find it very interesting and I find it inspirational from a production point of view. Um, and I think that it makes sense that it doesn't necessarily speak to me on a heart level since I'm, I'm not that age. I'm not at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. Right. And not that you can't speak to people that are different ages, but I want to make music that resonates with me. And if it resonates with 13 year olds, like I'm like totally cool with that. I'd make, that would make me super happy. Um, but, uh, that's not really I aim for. And I actually don't really, I think part of my, it's not a problem, but one thing that has made me really want to pursue music, doing that kind of art music on my own terms is that I, I really want to go all in on something that's going to make me, uh, that's going to move me, you know, and I think that that does resonate across age groups and I have seen it resonate across age groups, but it is quite left of center. Like I'm not trying to do some, like even, even now as my like song tastes have gotten shorter, I'm still attracted to the edges of music. Hmm. Um, still my favorite, like Rosalia song is her weirdest and is one of her least popular, at least by number of streams. Um, it's millionaire, uh, millionaire, 
I remember how to say it, but it's, it's a great, it's a great song. But like, like I was like, Oh, that's the pop music I want to hear. It's like totally weird as interesting rhythms. You know, I'm like a rhythm guy. Like that's what really pulls me into music. So yeah, I, I really want to make music when it comes to that, that speaks to me. And if I'm making money, I may as well be doing a home Depot commercial, which I did and I enjoyed <laughs> but like it's not like it speaks to me the music you know and maybe i i don't know maybe it speaks to you you're gonna you're gonna see it and be like oh shit i need those floors <laughs> i was gonna say you can make a budweiser super bowl commercial and make everyone cry <laughs> those those are very uh those are very there's a lot of yeah they they don't come along very often. Um, I you do. You had you had a Super Bowl ad. Yeah, two. <laughs> yeah, they're regional come Super Bowl ads. Come uh, on, man. No, and actually, um, for instance, the uh, the Suevo TVFCU commercial, mm-hmm. that was one where I felt like there's this big intersection of like, okay, this actually is like funny and goofy. Uh, in like a very delightful way. So it wasn't like super emotional, but it was like very much like, that's my aesthetic. I feel like is like very, is like goofy, but like you think about it for a second you're like, Oh man, that's actually really sad. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's but my there's, But there's an aspect of like leaning into it. And I feel like there's joy that comes from that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other, the other commercial I did that I feel I was really proud of and I was like, this is actually art is when um, I got paid. So this uh, sewing machine convention paid me to um, mm-hmm. make a song out of sewing machine noises. And like, I don't even know how I got this gig. They were like, we want you to play at our sewing machine convention. Um, <coughs> what would you, how would you, what would you like to do for it? And I was like, well, how about you, like pay me to sample a bunch of sewing machines and make a song out of it. (laughs) And they they were like, okay. And I was like, I was not expecting that. And, uh, but it ended up being amazing. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. They flew me out to Arizona to play it for a bunch of like 60 year old women. And it was like, they loved it. And just everything about it was, was, was wonderful. So sometimes the worlds collide. Um, but I feel like I, I need to make a space for me to just do what I like. And what, and what I do like to be clear is, is like now and pop and I like young Doug, I like, uh, Rosalia. I like, you know, lots of contemporary artists really speak to me, but like, yeah, I, I ultimately need a space to make music. That's like speaks to me. Mm-hmm. I know that in the music industry, a lot of artists bemoan the fact that we make music and then we essentially give it away for free. So we're musicians, but we're in the merch game. We're in the t-shirt game. We're in the sticker game. We're in the keychain game. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's just where we're at. I don't know what else to say. Like, that's true. That's true, and that's how we have to treat it. There's not I really. Feel like, 
I'm an idealist at the center of my being. And when I'm in that perfect 100% idealistic zone, I just feel like, oh, if I just campaign and let people know that it takes 30 seconds for artists to get paid, then everyone's going to at least listen to 30 seconds of a song, no matter whether they like it or not, just because they want to support you and they want to build the utopia, just like I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's what it's done is it's taken to an extreme. Something that's always been true is that it's, it's never only about the music. Mm -hmm. Um, I always talk to artists about this. Um, Like, yeah, it's never only about the music. It's, it's, it's always also about persona and about fashion and I think it has taken that to an extreme. And part of that is, you know, not to lead into another question before you've asked it, but like, I feel like that's, that's a part of, um, that has to be a, a, a part of your business model. And, but to be honest, it's always had to be a part of your business model. Like there's so many people who are very good at music you know, when I get despondent yeah. about, I was just talking to, um, you know, to Ben Vanderhart, who, who we do, he's, he like, he's like basically a label for a couple artists here. And like, you know, when I get despairing about the artist side of my music and I'm just like, screw it, I'm just going to do commercials and make a lot of money and not even worry about other stuff. Um, I think, I, I, I get despondent because there is so much good music. There's so much like people who are good at what I do out there and it's intimidating. Um, but anytime I stop, I, I'm like, I'm just like an addict. Like, I'm just like, but I can't stop making music. Like it's like a part of me that I really care about dies. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yep. You kind of have to be like that. You either have to be like young and think that you're special or you have to be like, you just can't stop. That's just funny to me because so many people think they're special. Yeah. I mean, everybody's special, but like, that's the problem, you know? (laughs) So you're not even worried about necessarily the inundation and the oversaturation of quote unquote bad music let's just say poorly recorded music because Mm -hmm. music music is a taste you know what you're saying and how you're communicating with your audience but even community even competing against those like excellent producers really high audio quality that's what gets you down yeah i mean i don't really care about high audio quality like if the song calls for it then like, yeah, of course it needs it. But if the song doesn't need it, then, you know, it, it doesn't need it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll say like, let's just say like artistry, you know? Uh, yeah, sure. If somebody like whose crap is like getting a lot of streams, like sure, that's depressing, but like that's been the case forever since like, <laughs> the beginning of time. Like, I don't know probably since the beginning of the time somebody's really blustery and is like, has a lot of confidence. And so like they make it and somebody who's like really great and just doing their art doesn't, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, of course it's frustrating to see, to see 
uninteresting people make it, I guess. Um, mm. Yeah. I spe- well, I do feel, I feel like I also like feel for them too. <laughs> like when I heard Yummy come out, the Justin Bieber song, because I was excited to hear it. I saw it came out. I saw it on my phone and I was like, I'm not going to listen to it until I get to like my studio and I can listen on good speakers. And I listened to that song and I was like, oh, Justin, like you have like literally all the resources of the music world at your fingertips and you made this. It's like some like future <laughs> ripoff uh, of like somebody who heard future one time and was like, oh, that's revolutionary. But it was like future from like 12 years ago. And it's like, oh, come on. So it's less, it's, you know, and I guess it's disappointing because I've, I've loved a lot of Justin Bieber's music. Yeah. You know, just to, just to use an example of somebody who everybody would know. I mean, I could say the same for Matt most, but like nobody knows who that is. Mm-hmm. Also everything Matt most does is good. So I guess I can't say that. So with, uh, with all of that, you just brought up Justin Bieber and he is a global pop star like you could mention him on almost every continent and everyone would have a reference for who that is yeah i feel like with what i see in communities getting smaller getting more inward community driven like even just opening up local grocery stores local locally sourced things in our economy i feel like that's going to have an impact on music and superstars regardless of like what the region or the city and so i just have this idea that there's going to be all these regional pop stars like there's going to be an eastern tennessee justin bieber or a huge artist but they're really only huge in eastern tennessee mm-hmm. and then there's going to be some large organization where all of these pop stars go and they represent their region or their city on a national scale. And it's going to come even to a finer point. Like right now we have artists like Drake, Kalani, Khalid. We have a wide, we don't really have a narrow tip in terms of the number of people that are big right now. So talk to me about your thoughts on that. Do you feel like that's a realistic future or is that, is that way out there? Um, I, that I would actually, I would actually love that. I like for artists to, uh, to really, so what, what I feel like my favorite art is and and music is when people are doing something that only they can do, not because of a skill Mm -hmm. level, but because of like who they are and where they come from. Um, and, uh, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, but I feel like it's going to be less so, or it is less so regional because I think we're always going to have big pop stars because we're always going to have a machine, at least in like a capitalist society, as long as we live in a capitalist society, we're going to have a machine that is going to find a way and they're going to have the money to like force stuff down people's throats. Cause that's, that's what pop has been since like at least the sixties, like, this has been psychologically proven that if someone hears a song enough times, 
they're gonna probably start to like it unless they like actively avoid it. So there's always gonna be a machine which is like pushing stuff uh, down our throats, which is like, I mean, whatever, you can feel about it however you want. It's, it, that's just reality. So I feel like there's always gonna be pop stars. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like what we've already found is not necessarily people congregating around regions, but congregating around um, like, I don't know how to say it, but like, it's more like an internet thing. It's less like a, a regional thing and more like an internet thing. And like a shared interests or. Right. Yeah. Like if you think about like um, uh, some like weird things that have popped up that could not have happened without the internet and like they're somewhat regional, but like odd future um, you think about like um, SoundCloud rap, which is sort of like based in Florida, but really it's based around a certain place in the internet. Right. Um, and, and, you know, uh, there's another one I was trying, I was, I was thinking of, Oh, um, that rap group that calls himself a boy group. Um, That's the name, a boy group. No, no. They had the sat, they had saturation one, two, and three. Oh, I can't think of their name. Oh, you know, I'm gonna freaking I'm gonna find it right now. Brock Brockhampton. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah. So all those things basically seem to be like a bunch of kids just doing a bunch of stuff that they thought was funny, right? And that that they would just not, but like someone on the internet found them, and like basically they like that's their story. Mm. It's like it's a group of like people who were just kind of like doing their thing. And someone on the internet found them. They got a little bit of fame. And then like the machine was like, you, you know, because they got that, that fame. But huh? I think that, I think that there are like thousands of Brockhamptons, there's thousands of odd futures out there. It's just a matter of like the internet congregating around. Mm. Um, because, you know, we see in Chattanooga, like a small to mid-sized city, a lot of there's a lot of talent here right a lot of people doing like good music mm-hmm. um, and i don't think that chattanooga is special that way i think there's a lot of good music in a lot of cities and if you just think about in a place like chattanooga which is like what like 150,000 how big is chattanooga i have no idea 300,000 it, no it's like 150 to 170 i think but if if you look at the incorporated then it's like 270 Okay. So yeah, like 150, 170, uh, a city our size has like, um, you know, a lot of good musicians that are putting out like some good content. Um, maybe not as many as like Chattanoogans think like, you know, maybe Chattanoogans get like a little bit too stoked on like their own stuff, but like, there's definitely like great music coming out of here. And I don't think Chattanooga is special. I think a lot of cities this size have that. And it's just a matter of like what the internet tends to congregate Mm. around, Um, you know? So I I feel like that's, to me, that's more of like the future of that, that like the internet has wrought um, and this like splintering has wrought. Uh Like W-R-O-U-G-H-T, wrought. That's one of my favorite words. It has such a, I can't even, it has a visceral. 
like connotation to me like wrought iron i guess is the context i hear it in a lot it's like you're yeah it, you're heating it up you're molding it yeah i would think of it as like a like a, yeah like a force that's like molding something that the thing really has like very little uh say in mm. you know um that's just what the internet's done is people have like found these places that speak to them and they can just spend their time there as opposed to like uh you know if your only options for live music are uh whatever is in chattanooga that's different than if you can like stream anything from anywhere at any time you know and you get to like yeah. um, choose that if you want to but on the other hand i think it's important to point out that for the vast majority of of uh people they are not seeking out music they are going to like logarithmic playlists that's where the vast majority of streams are coming from on spotify right our logarithmic playlists i would imagine the same is true for apple um and so there there was a time when like the internet was a wild west for music um where you might just like go to Spotify and discover something new on accident or SoundCloud, but that's no longer the case. And that's always going to happen. And I think that no matter what happens is the people that are making money, there's going to be gatekeepers to do that. In the past, it was radio DJs. Um, and that, that's still true to a certain extent because to make money on a recording, it needs to get radio play. So you still have labels, giving suitcases of cash to radio, radio DJs to play it. You mean payola? Is yes. That yeah. Um, and you, you now have that also on the Spotify side of things um, where there are playlist makers and logarithmic playlists that um, are determining who gets those streams. Like that's pretty much it. They're determining who gets those streams and they do need to maintain a certain level of like whatever they're known for, right? If they're known for like breaking new artists, then yeah. they need to do that, right? Um, in their playlist. But the vast majority of playlists are like, do you, are you like studying to piano music? Do you like music from 1986? Do you like uh, number one hits? Which is like a totally weird, like self eating, like, format i'm only gonna listen to number one hits <laughs> uh, you know but yeah i think that that's that's the that's the the new gatekeepers and i feel like anything new that comes along that's going to be the case is like um it's going to be the wild west for a very short amount of time and that's when people when there's going to be like weird music things that happen like soundcloud rap I don't think that could happen on SoundCloud now. I don't think that like that's going to spawn a genre like that because now there's gatekeepers on SoundCloud and they make their own playlists and they send people whatever they think is going to be popular and there's gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Spotify, the first playlists that were shared were personal playlists of fans, right? That's like, that's like beautiful and that's like a, a wonderful thing. And then soon Spotify was like, you know what? we could do this and people would pay us or whoever it is to be on our playlist and try to figure out the logarithm. So, um, yeah, those gatekeepers are always going to be there no matter what comes. Um, if you can get into the wild west, uh, 
part of it, then like, you know, good for you. Like, you know, if you could get it, if you were on TikTok uh, two years ago or something, mm-hmm. three years ago, I don't know. I'm an old man. But like, you know, get onto it when it was the Wild West before it was like a huge thing. Then you could be like, yeah. you know, take advantage of that Wild West atmosphere. Mm-hmm. When you brought up the the niche artists on the internet or the shared interest artists, three people popped into my mind. Uh, Grimes, mm. Doja Cat, and NASCAR Aloe. Have you heard of any of them? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big Art Angels fan, so I love Grimes. Uh, I like Dojo Cat. Um, I I love a couple of her songs. I'm not familiar with the NASCAR. NASCAR Aloe. I think Dojo Cat is the is the most interesting because uh she kind of she talks about in interviews how she what she got famous for she like was kind of mad at like her label put together an album she did an album for her label they put it out and and like whatever the first single didn't do well so they kind of just like pushed the rest of it out and just like let it flap out there in the wind then she did the moo cow video yeah I totally forgot that was her. That's how she got famous. <laughs> That's literally how she got famous is she did this Instagram story uh, yeah. that to me is awesome. To her, she was like, I just did it to be funny and it's what I'm famous for. And then her label was like, oh, we're going to re-release your album and and like promote it properly and do like an actual video uh but still, I don't think anything of hers has as many views or streams as the Moo Cow thing. And I think that's wonderful, personally. Not that she's, like, mad about it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, dude, like, that's an awesome story. I think that's that's many people. I was actually talking to Nick about this. I do understand why it's frustrating. I was talking to Nick Lutzko. Um about how his like most viewed videos and songs are the, uh, the Trump parodies, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what gets like um, coverage too. So we did like a song and a music video together and uh, put it out. I really, I'm really proud of both. Actually. I was just talking to the guy who mixed it. He just texted me and was like, Hey, I came back to it and it's still good. Congratulations. (laughs) It's like, thanks. But, uh, um, but I think it was like three days after we shot the video, he just did this. It was when Trump came out and he had like a, a Sharpie written note that said like, no collusion, no, like whatever. And so he just did like a, he's like, I spent literally 30 minutes and I just did like an acoustic version of singing what was written on that. And it was like a viral, like that was news, you know, that Trump, that Trump had this. Uh, his notes were like this, these hugely written, like anybody could remember them notes. So Nick just did a song making fun of that. And literally that was the lyrics. And he was like interviewed on like NBC. And it was like, for that, like not the song that like we spent like, you know, uh, (laughs) you know, a long time conceiving and, and uh, creating and, uh, a video in which we got splattered in the face with eggs and glitter and 
paint and stuffed animals and beans. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's like, I would really like, you know, it'd be nice if like, it was like, if I spent more time on something and I, and it spoke to me more that mm. be better, but like, I can't like, I can't complain. I get it. You know? Yep. And that's not, I mean, that's not that that song didn't do good at all. It was just that it was just funny that this thing that he just like banged out was like instant success. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I just, I mean, the old phrase comes to mind. People don't think it'd be like it is, but it do. <laughs> that's true. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about the, uh, how like the dojo cat thing like how does that feel how does that story feel to you man i love that i love silly things because silliness has really become a big part of my creative process i found that for me to dismount from my high horse of seriousness when i'm working on a song or writing a song sometimes i just need to go to the very far into things and so i've got like things like that that i've written mm -hmm. to just get me out of the mood and i haven't created any media around them to push them but i love those things because i think they're really relatable because i think i think everyone is a lot weirder than they let on i mean yeah. some people totally wear it on their sleeve but you know, in professional settings, you often have to have to keep a certain exterior for things. Um, but I, I love it. Like it just, it fills me with happiness when I see things like that. Like even just silly, stupid memes. I love memes just because of the way they're able to communicate ideas and relatability and they make you laugh and feel good. Yeah. No, I'm all about that. Uh, I do often... It, it, I feel like it can, it can be difficult for me sometimes to get out of a producer mindset. And even before I was a producer, when I was a, I started doing this in high school where I would listen to music and be like, well, how would I do this? Or how would I want this to sound? Or how would I change this to make it so that I would like it more? Um, so I do care about production and I do actually like um, crappy production if it works for a song and, and how that, you know, intersects. Uh, I love, I've loved look working with rock Floyd for that reason. Um, and doing tape loops with him, which has been like, you know, I, I don't, what I, what I tend to do is like be, be very spontaneous, you know, and then on like maybe a night and just like get really drunk and like just put down a bunch of ideas and then come back to them and sort them and then get really meticulous with sorting them and fleshing them out and like then molding that into something. Hmm. Um, but when I've gotten together with Rock Floyd and, and Payday and then uh, also Eric a little bit, um, uh, look out. Look the out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been very much like, let's just like try stuff until something clicks. And it's just a different way of working where it's like, no, we're going to find something now that works. We're not going to refine it. And if we don't get anything that works, then like, that's sad. We're going to start over and try again. Um, and it just produces a different kind of music. And, and I've, 
Yeah, I've just loved it. And it's made me listen to music differently as well. Mm. Just in terms of like um, trying to listen from the standpoint of like, not what would I do different or, or, you know, what's better? Like, you know, my favorite music is the music that makes me turn that off because it just like hits me, you know? That's why I love seeing visual art is because like, I don't do that with visual art because I don't know enough about it. But if it hits me, it just it just hits me and I can't explain it at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas with music, I can be like, well, that's hitting me because of like, you know, the, the vocals are like, uh, you know, recorded farther away from the microphone or like some stupid stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, that four, five, six progression gets me every time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and if music, can, if there's music that can get me out of that, then I'm just like, yes. That's it. Yeah. So I want to, I want to ask you next about this trend where people are using artificial intelligence to create music. So they're running like the last example I saw was someone ran all the Beatles chord progressions, lyrics, chords, you know, sounds, instruments through a computer. And then it started to generate its own Beatles music. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you want to see and continue? Or do you feel like this is competition for you? It's not. Well, okay. On a business level, it definitely is competition. Like can't say that it's not because like, especially uh, with commercial work where I'm basically doing, you know, like I said, with the la- I don't know if this was when we were recording or not, but when the reference was a Black Key song, but like they can't afford to license a Black Key song, right? So yeah. I do get that. Not a lot, actually, not as much as I thought that I would when I started doing this stuff. Um, but like, you know, I, I think that that kind of thing is going away, but also... So it is, it is definitely competition from a business standpoint, uh, on an art standpoint, I think that it could, it it could replace somebody like Taylor Swift, but it's not gonna replace somebody like young thug, I guess. I don't want to like draw too much of a, I think Taylor Swift is a legitimate artist and everything, but I'm just saying like, what she does, what pure pop does, is it takes what's happening in other places or other times and like makes it digestible, right? That's what Diplo does, right? And that's what he's so good at, is he, he's taking things that have happened in other, and are happening in other places and makes them palatable to Americans, right? So he takes- he's so good, man. Right, and he's very good at that. <laughs> But I don't think that's like an AI could do that. And I think what Taylor Swift has done, at least in the Taylor Swift that I have enjoyed, which has been the most, which has been 1989, um, uh, is that she takes music from other times and kind of like updates it and puts her voice on it, you know. But on the the other hand, you know, Drake does the same thing where Drake will take things happening in other places in hip hop and then put his own voice on it. But then come to think of it, like, you wouldn't like it if it wasn't somebody who had a voice to put on it. 
You know what I mean? Like Taylor Swift definitely has a voice. Um, and, and, and so maybe that's, that's an important part of pop is that you have a voice to put on it, but from a, a production song standpoint, she's just pilfering music that's already been popular and making it her own, just like Drake pilfers, um, you know, this hasn't always been the case because Drake did bring in the whole like sad boy rapper thing, which I appreciate and I love uh, him and uh, Kanye West on uh, 808 and Heartbreaks, right? So, but uh, Drake for the past, like at least five years has been like taking things from other areas of hip hop and putting his voice on it. Um, and he's been excellent at that. And he's been kind of like, um, you know, so I don't know. If, if AI can kind of like, I guess if somebody has an established voice, like enough, like the Beatles do, um, then AI can probably do that. Um, but for someone new to have their new take on it, you know, I don't know if, if AI could do that. I don't know if it, AI could make uh, a Billie Eilish album now maybe four albums from now maybe ai could do that after she has established what her voice is and what her musical preferences are what her subject matter is going to be um in the arc of her career you know uh but in terms of introducing new voices i don't think that we're i think we're probably really really far away from that like not in our lifetime Uh uh-huh yeah, sorry, I, that was very inconcise. All these answers are inconcise. That's that's just where I'm at. So yeah, with if if pop is like putting a voice to things that are already happening that they kind of know are sure shots, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, AI can definitely do that. I mean, we've seen it. We are seeing it do that. It can do that with Bach and with Brahms and with people, you know. Uh, when they did this study with the same thing you're talking about with the Beatles, they did it with Bach and they let some like super classical music nerds listen to it. And uh, they were like, did you guys find a new Bach? Like, this is crazy. And they're like, a computer made that. Some people apparently were like super pissed, like super, super, super pissed. Uh, But it's kind of like, I mean, isn't that amazing that Bach has a fingerprint that's like, yeah you can make like that that's like that's that's not a bad thing it doesn't mean bach is like it, it doesn't mean that descriptive it is, or formulaic necessarily right. right yeah he has a voice and you can mimic it like but it does man it makes me think like is it i think about this as a songwriter is it that the common intervals that he chooses between notes and so it knows like oh if i if i do like a third to a fifth and then go to a diminished fourth that's that's a trend in box so if i do that then i can mimic it do you think it's that sort of thing oh yeah it is it's math yeah yeah uh, but i think that gets into into things like um emergent 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 theory um where uh it's the whole idea that like humans are spiritual, but their spiritualness arises from the complexity of their physical makeup. 
and and it kind of like is it's like it doesn't answer any questions really i mean well it does answer some questions but it also like raises others um like what if somebody doesn't have a certain level of mental capacity does that mean that they aren't like spiritual or special as as other humans are right so there's it raises some like hard questions too but i think that just because something can be explained by like math or science doesn't mean that it's not special yeah you know what i mean i think that that's i think that we have this we have set up in our judeo-christian culture this thing of like it's either science or it's something mysterious and and like special and it can't be special it can't be mysterious and science at the same time and i think we've seen as science has played out that science is mysterious and there's lots of things we don't basic things that we can't really explain like gravity where like we know what gravity is and its effects but we can't really like like why it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> like they can't they can only go so far and uh when you yeah i i think that it's this like idea that like if it can be explained with numbers it's not special that's yeah. just like that's just crap that's actually what you just expressed is a logical fallacy called god of the gaps which yeah. a lot of a lot of christians are notorious for saying oh yeah well we can explain the atom but god is present and holding everything together just beneath the atom and so then when we discover quarks and physics and gluons and neutrinos and all these smaller particles then the christians are fumbling like oh well god's still beneath that but then science just proved it and gave a rational math and science explanation for it right well i mean kind of rational when you get down that small it's yeah it's pretty freaking fuzzy i mean i'm not a scientist. Oh, yeah. i mean you know yeah, I mean, scientists grasp like i was just thinking about today how energy is is essentially the currency of the universe everything is exchanging energy whether it's heat or any form of energy and we still fumble and hot potato with what energy even is like we yeah. we cannot get it down to a point it's still so blurry yeah yeah and i love that stuff i i always feel like in uh in uh I don't know. I'm just going to go in 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 Hume's dialogues. I'm always like, there's like a, uh, there's a rationalist and then there's like basically a, a Christian, like a rational Christian. And then there's a uh, mystic and the mystic and they're having a conversation about the nature of the universe. And the mystic is kind of keeps on being like, and Hume is making fun of the mystic because the mystic's just like, guys, it's, I mean, <laughs> how we, it's how we experience the universe. Like that's just, it's just true. Like you can't just say that like personality just like is like an accident of evolution or some like stuff like, uh, but then he gets laughed off, but I'm like, that's me. I'm like, I'm the mystic. I'm just like, it doesn't matter if you know more about science, you don't know more about truth, you know? So I want to bring, uh, I want to bring us to our final question. Yeah. Bring him back. And the whole, impetus for starting this podcast was because I'm constantly thinking about how we can make society better. How can we make the world a better place for all people to live in? And something that I see 
actually, I, f I feel like it's diminished or at least I'm not clicking on those things. So the algorithms and my social media are not feeding me those things, mm. but artists, companies, labels that are using, that are using women's bodies to increase click through rates, putting a scantily clad woman on a cover video as a thumbnail to get you to click on it. I don't see you doing that. And that's actually a big, it's part of my brand. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to objectify human beings and I want to help create equity. So when you're doing that, is that one, is that intentional on your part? And two, do you feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot or capping out your success by not doing those things? Um, you know, I feel like, like when I, I feel like this, this, like to answer this question, it goes back to the whole thing of like, when I'm making art and my music, I want it to be, I want it to speak to me. Um, and I do want it to speak to other people too. Um, and I don't think it's intentional. Like, I'm not like, uh, I'm a feminist, you know? I would like to be seen as a feminist, sure. But like, uh, also like, that's, I have like, a, I have two daughters, you know? Like that stuff is like not, it not, doesn't really speak to me. And I do listen to music where that is like a thing. I, I mentioned Rosalia, you know, like she's like a pop star. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like it, it makes it a little bit, so, so that's for me on my side, on the art side, Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't speak to me. And so like, I'm not going to do that on my own stuff. I have been involved on stuff where that was part of it. And I was like, if that's what you want to do. Like, you know, I like, it's just my, I'm just like, I'm just like pressing play or whatever. Uh, I'm just making the drums or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would say from a business standpoint, uh, you do have to think long-term and having uh, a sustainable brand is important. And I don't think it necessarily has to be, it has to include uh, things which are highly uh, clickable by men, I guess is, is, is what you're asking. Like um, in the short term that does like, yeah, like that'll probably help you. I don't know. I don't have numbers on that, um, but I'm sure marketing firms could tell you and that they probably would tell you that that's like something that's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's like, I do want to reach more people with my music, but it's more important that it and the whole package be a thing. And I haven't really, um, actually I did put out a sex jam. But uh, I don't, it's not, I don't do that that much. And actually that sex jam is actually really, it's really good. And <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. That did not have a scantily clad woman on it. But again, I think that if you look at the cover of that one, which I love, but I, I didn't commission, it was a remix, the Heaven on Earth remix. Oh uh, yeah. So Balik. Yeah, yeah, it was Swayvo and Johnny Balik. And if you, definitely a sex jam, but if you, it's PG-13 sex jam so you know it's not like a rated r sex jam uh 
Yeah, I mean, the marketing for that, there's there's nothing lascivious or scandalous about it from my perspective. Right, and I think that it, I think that it was done even with the art um, in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I need sex jams in my life. I love DBSN. Um, all DBSN does is sex jams. But I think that they specifically do it in a very... Um, I like sex jams that are like either on the one hand super silly because like sex is just like silly like unless you're like in the mood for sex like sex just if you just think about it it's like it's it's weird it's like that's like what like why do we do that like why do we spend so much of our lives pursuing this like it's crazy <laughs> uh, if you're in the mood of course you're just like all I want to do is have sex right now. Um, I mean, you know, so, um, uh, or I like them to be like, uh, more about like something else, you know, mm-hmm. and like, um, not just about sex, but about like what it means to couple, um, and, uh, or what it means to like desire, um, and to like, you know, somewhat like spiritualize it, which I feel like that song does. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, even just relating to someone in that way. I think that, I think we miss a lot of how like we are, we're physical beings, but we're also animals. Like yeah. we have itches, we need to fuel our bodies with food to keep going, to grow. And I think that I think we would do well to continue to explore every facet of our physical existence in those ways. Absolutely. Um, I will say that I do tend when I'm writing um, lyrics, which I don't often do, but um, with Paul and Michael, I do often um, contribute to the lyric, to the lyric writing of the song. Um, I, I do like to uh, go to subjects that I feel like have not been like, covered to death uh-huh. um you know a song like play pretend uh which is about kind of like um you know it, it's about how like modern life just basically has this feeling like we're playing pretend and it's it's like you know the first part is about like how how like we need like this physical stimulus to get through the day and then like the second verse is about like the ridiculousness of digital uh, of our digital lives. And, and hopefully the song ends up in a place, uh, at least to me, it ends up in a place of like, well, just kind of screw it. Like we're going to play pretend like we're kids. And that's like, that's the answer to this. Like, like grousing about it, which kind of the song does through the first part of it. It's just kind of like, it's fun, but it's like grousing kind of about like, it's like that old man thing of like, like the internet like that's not really you on instagram like that kind of stuff uh but then it ends in a place where it's like none of it's real like this is actually kind of like great we can just treat this like a playground and that's not a bad way to live Mm um but like that's not something that's like i don't like yeah there's lots of songs about that but not as much as there are about like new love or falling out of love or you know or friendship songs. I love friendship songs. I love them. Been working on 
uh, on one with uh, Jermaine and uh, So Chill. So, um, oh, and yeah, and that other, the one that's already out, I did with So Chill uh, and Jermaine. Um, yeah, I love friendship songs and, you know, Lil Myra, uh, a favorite of yours. Zay, uh, father, daughter. Dude, how you, how you captured the baby samples and then <laughs> what took it from like a seven to a 10 uh, your strategic and surgical placement of just the right baby sample in the right spot. Dude, I've been waiting to do that for my entire life. Because you know, one of my, one of the songs that made me want to be a producer was um, the Aaliyah song. Yes, which is a sample from a Prince song, but like that is the, so good. Timbaland is like has shaped me as like a human. Like I listen to the world differently because of Timbaland. Yeah. But when the rain came on, the rain was like the first song that I was like, "Oh, I do love hip hop. It is like my favorite thing in the world." Um, and there's crickets in the uh, in the beat, like throughout the entire song there's just freaking crickets mm. and it, it's like it just made me hear everything differently there was a time when i would like literally walk around everywhere with my little task cam recording everything um and i still do that but i don't do it all the time but mm -hmm. i still love, i still love sampling that way and using you know even like heaven on earth like which you don't even you wouldn't realize it necessarily but like the snare sound, the really long kind of like clanging snare sound, that's something I sampled from a uh, construction site um, where something big and metal hit something else big and metal. And I ended up like using it in like probably the most poppy straight ahead song I've like produced. Mm -hmm. So baby sounds. Yeah, man, I'm, Everyone needs to go listen to Lil Myra. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to make your day better. I guarantee it. It just, like I said, I keep coming back to joy. Like that's a song that just fills me with joy when I hear those samples. It is. It's a, it's a great and one. And the silliness of the lyrics, like rhyming everything with <laughs> Myra, Gyra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That I'm was... here for it. I'm here for all of that. We started writing that song for somebody else, me and Paul. And so he was just putting down like silly lyrics. And I think the first line of the pre-chorus is like, Lil Myra, Lil Myra, you're cuter than the Skyra. And that was just like a totally like, we were just being like really stupid. We we're like, oh, what else rhymes with Myra? Sky, Ra, Skyra, Myra, okay. Uh, try, Ra, try Ra, that rhymes with Myra, right? Uh, and we just thought it was so hilarious. I was just like, we're just going to put this song out just, just as it is because like we love that ridiculousness. So Carl, if people want to check out your music and listen to 31 seconds of your songs on Spotify or streaming services, tell them where they can do that. Yeah. So, uh, just search for summer dregs. That's like coffee dregs, uh, summer, like the season and then D R E G S. Um, and it'll come up if you're on Spotify, I have a playlist that's uh, my favorite songs of mine, or you can listen to the top songs. Um, and 
just uh, click away. Summerdregs.com if you want to see um, all the gloriously silly videos that I've done, which they all they're all pretty silly. Yeah, they're all they're all silly. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think. I think I want to sign off with this and I think something that is lacking, especially for creatives is a support network or people that are encouraging one another. So I just want to tell you, Carl, I'm not being paid to say this. I'm a big fan of your work. I think that you do phenomenal things and I want you to keep being yourself and I'm really excited to see what you're going to put out this year. Thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, having me on or having me, just uh, having this conversation. Yeah. So that's Carl, Summer Dregs. Go check him out. This is the Andrew Michael Matter podcast. Love you guys. I'll see you soon. Whoop.